hello guys, how's it going? This is the NTT20 Monday podcast. I'm Ali Maxwell and on the line with me, but very much a co-host, not a guest, George, <laughs> and I wouldn't want it to come across that way, George Ellick. George, how are you doing today? One day maybe you'll let me do the beginning of the show rather than telling me I'm not allowed to. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, obviously not ideal news for us as two London dwellers, although I, you know, I understand we've been very lucky over the last few months when other people in the country have had to kind of live under these measures for a long time. But um, yeah, very relieved that for the time being, football will continue. So that means you and I will continue to talk about it and make content around it. And fingers crossed we can kind of just provide a little bit of light relief um, for those out there who are also feeling the struggles of living in this weird, weird world. So because of, of what's changed for us individually uh, in Christmas week over the weekend, um, we both basically want a bit of company, I think it's fair to say, um, from you guys. If you're in a position where at some point this week you might fancy a, a bit of an escape from things or just have a little natter, we've got a few different things that we've got planned over the next few days. So um, firstly, tomorrow, that is Tuesday at 6.30, uh, I'm going to do a live stream, probably on YouTube, but I, I'll probably stream it on Twitter as well through Periscope. So you'll only need to follow us on Twitter to be across it, 6.30 on Tuesday during the second half of the Brentford Newcastle Carabao Cup game we can watch that we can have a natter about that game and just anything that pops up really about football or otherwise that would be a really nice distraction and something to look forward to this week and then George on Wednesday you're going to be doing Twitter chat yeah more of a, a written wordman than a spoken visual uh yeah just um, I'll be on on Twitter probably at a similar time we'll tweet about it and just there for an hour, really, to chat to anybody who might be on their own at home and maybe a bit lonely um, and wants to talk about anything, hopefully football related, really. Um, you know, you can tweet me any questions you've got about my opinions on players or clubs or, or your tactics or managers, whatever it is. Um, if nobody's there and no one's asking me anything, maybe I'll put some out into the uh, into the Twitter ether to see if I get anything back. But that'll be on Wednesday evening. So hopefully, between us, you know, we can, um, you know, we we have a lot to thank you guys for as listeners. Um, so hopefully, we can we can give a bit back here by being there for for anybody who who might need us. Yeah, please do let us know uh, if you are getting involved with either of those things on Tuesday or Wednesday in the evenings. Now it's time to talk about football. Um, no more chat I don't think on this episode about pandemic related issues there was a very eventful weekend in the EFL managerial departures crazy results across all three leagues and much more as well and for the first time ever um, I got called out which is <laughs> which is probably the dramatic way of saying it I got mentioned by a league two manager in their post-match press conference not by name sadly that would have been brilliant not by name unfortunately but more on that later I'm, I'm really excited to reveal this to you guys it's absolutely made my Sunday night when it was sent to me that clip that'll be at the start of the League 2 section later but let's start George in the championship and we'll start as ever uh, after a, a double game week if you will uh, by touching on the teams and giving credit to those who picked up the full complement of points in the week that was and we'll start with our league leaders Norwich City they beat Cardiff 2-0. They had won four games in a row by two goals to one. This time, two goals to nil. Uh, and George, from what I saw on your Twitter page on Saturday early afternoon with a dangerously eulogistic tweet from yourself during the second <laughs> half, you were absolutely loving this Canaries performance. 
Yeah, they were they were brilliant because you have to look at the opposition when you see teams playing like this, um, and you know quite often you can put it down to they're playing against. This is a Cardiff side who have been so much better in recent weeks, um, and they the ease at which Norwich were able to create chance after chance was something that was a sign to me that we're starting to see maybe the side who are kind of a, a bit of a lock for a top three and, and maybe just the class team in the division. Um, you know, they won this game 2-0. Timo Puki had a very rare off day where he, you know, he was still getting into goal scoring positions, but either his finishing ability or once his first touch um, really let him down. Did you see what it was being put down to? His, he, his lack of sleep because he'd had a kid the night before. <laughs> Little Timu. It's, it's meant to be the other way, isn't it? It's meant to be baby swag is what they say in golf. When you have a kid, everything else just kind of takes care of itself because you're, you're, you're no longer too concerned about trivial things like football. But you know, the performance of, of Emi Buendia, um, you know, this is the best player in the division um, in the best form he's been in for a long time now. Uh, adding, I mean, he's just every single part of his game is is elite for championship level, whether it's the, the creative parts. You know, his, his assist for... Cantwell's goal wasn't much in it, but the chances he created elsewhere in the game were just full of quality. There was one touch and kind of volleyed crossfield ball to um, to Cantwell in the first half, which he put wide, which would have been one of the assists of the season so far. Cantwell himself now back in the team playing regularly um, is a much better player than than he was last time there in the championship. There's just so much to like. There's so much to like. They're still lacking key players. I mean, McGovern pulled off a brilliant save at 1-0. Um, and it could have been a different game before then, but obviously Cruel still to come back too. Um, I was so impressed. I was so impressed. I mean, there are still... I still think they're going to concede a fair few goals this season. I think this is probably going to be a, a, a quite a rare clean sheet. Um, but the ease with which they were able to create chances, it was reminiscent of Leeds last time, at times in the last couple of seasons. And... Um, and this, I think, is the game and the weekend where they really laid down the marker as, as probably title favourites. It was so notable how much space they were managing to find in central areas, in the half spaces, against a team in Cardiff who you would put down as a team who flood the midfield defensively, who have a lot of bodies uh, in, in those sort of central areas. And it was just so notable. And, and and to be fair, on the flip side, almost comical how little Cardiff created from open play but how many set-piece chances Morrison had. Sean Morrison, um, he, he has these patches, doesn't he, every season, sometimes multiple times per season, where there'll be a run of three or four games where he's just he's on the end of everything. Um, he's got a couple of goals recently. It could have been more and could have got one uh, on the day. But, um, yeah, a an absolutely dominant display. Seven points now between Norwich and third place. That is a big old gap already at this stage mm. of the season. It's not unassailable. We saw the two top teams last season have a bit of a wobble mid-season, but this Norwich side are getting better, as you've said. They are having a hell of a time. They're so fun to watch. They're picking up a ton of points. So, uh, on recent evidence potentially a better all-round team than they were two years ago when they were champions at this level. So, I mean, things could barely be going any better, I think it's fair to say. Um, Birmingham lost 4-1 to Borough. That was two wins in a row for Borough. In fact, I think it's three wins in a row for Middlesbrough. It's a pretty mad run they've been on. George, we've just come to the end, as you mentioned at the top of the show, of a stretch of nine games in like 
27 days, maybe, 28 days. Uh, and in that time, Borough have won five and lost five. No draws in that period. Um, and, you know, obviously having rattled off a couple of wins to finish that spell, it wasn't looking quite so pretty a couple of weeks ago. So it's been tough to have a steer on them, especially because heading into that, we thought we really knew what to expect from Warnock sides. Only one of their first 12 games had seen over 2.5 goals, had seen <laughs> three goals or more scored, and then six of their last nine. So it's a little confusing, but it's still pretty good fun, I must say. Um, Dyke Steele missed three games in the midst of this run. They did beat Swansea 2-1, the first one he missed, uh, and then they lost 1-0 and then 3-0 to Preston. And I do think the importance of Dyke Steele to this back line is pretty clear. Um, and we've spoken about him on Sky, but it really is the most like remarkable renaissance from a player who... I think if he'd left in the summer, it probably would have been without many tears shed from the fan base and without much fanfare. Mm. And he would have gone down as a flop, as a signing for two million quid from Charlton in League One that hadn't worked out, that wasn't good enough, a, a poor bit of recruitment. Uh, and now, far from it, um, one of the league's highest performing defenders, um, still only 24. He's played centre back, he's played right back. Um, seems to have all the, all the tools really. He's not he's not electric going forward. His delivery is not incredible when he plays right back, and he's not the most creative in the final third. But defensively, everything you'd want, uh, and and only getting better under Borough. This one, a frustrating one for Birmingham. I mean, as Blues breakdown told us in a Sunday scouting report, they were brilliant for the first twenty minutes, straight out the traps. Karanka looking to get one over his old side, the side he took up to the Premier League, um, and then as soon as Borough equalised. I think that was it. They just folded. Um, uncharacteristic mistakes from Etheridge, who is suffering from what all championship goalkeepers suffer from, George. You are not allowed to have more than three good months as a championship goalkeeper. <laughs> that is the rule, I'm afraid. We've seen it with Bryce Samba. We've seen it with Rafael Cabral. We've seen it with every single goalkeeper I can think of. You cannot have more than three good months until you drop a clanger and sometimes a couple in a row. Um, but yes, Karanka picking up a bit of stick from Blues fans for uh, for some strange substitutions and that, especially having been 1-0 up, will have been a bit of a sickener. Um, next up, we've got a managerial casualty. Yes. And uh, it's Watford, isn't it? It's, uh, it's Vlad Ivic is no longer now um, as you guys know we're sponsored by the athletic the athletic have a dedicated watford writer adam leventhal who had to work overtime this weekend it's fair to say not for the first time in his watford beat reporting career um, and he's written the inside story on ivich's watford sacking and why thisco munoz is the new manager of Watford. Uh, that's on the Athletic site. I would recommend that you read it. It's going to form the basis of our, of our discussion now as well. Theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. If you visit that, you can get 50% off an annual subscription. It's about two quid fifty a month. Um, George, there's quite a lot of off-pitch chat in that piece uh, about what the players thought of him, a fallout with Troy Deeney, some of the ways that he wanted to work, which weren't proving very popular. I suppose we're not such big experts on rumours and gossips and falling out. We're a bit more interested in the football. Uh, and I, I mean, I think for us, it's farewell, Vladivic. You didn't say much off the pitch. You didn't show us much on it. Uh, fair to say we haven't been too convinced or enamoured with uh, with Watford under Vladivic. <laughs> I thought that was going to be a poem when he said Vladivic <laughs> off, the, off the pitch. Um, yeah, this makes total sense. You know, I did quite like a lame tweet saying like, oh, looking forward to all the takes of people looking at the league table and getting angry. And there were a few of them, but um, he's he's been poor. Like he's been a really poor manager for Watford so far this season. Um, this is a case of 
of I think the people making the decisions at Watford knowing that um, they are fifth in the table and in touch with the top two not by you know they're, they're there in spite of Ivic really um, there was absolutely nothing in terms of the um, system or the style of play that suggested he even had an understanding of how he wanted to play they were rarely if ever really the dominant side in a game like it was always pretty marginal and they came out on top in more than they deserved to so many talented footballers at the club who are having just poor seasons I mean Andre Gray being one of them Will Hughes being another Ishmael Assar doing basically nothing in the championship um the time was right to make a change. I mean, I know that the Pozzos probably fairly have a, a reputation for being trigger happy. And that has, of course, been a narrative this time. Again, a lot of people saying, oh, shock, Watford sack another manager. But in this case, it's way better to make the call, make the decision before the performances um, translate into a poor league position. Having said that, the man they brought in, Chisco, I mean, it's impossible to to make a case for that being a, a a a good appointment on the face of it. It might well prove to be one, but you'd think having taken a guy from the Israeli leagues in Vlad Vladivich, who'd never really managed in a league that we would categorise as being something that that is easily translatable, um, and you know he had unprecedented success there. To then go and take another manager who's been managing in Georgia again, where you just can't really get a grasp on what that necessarily means in terms of, of, the, of the achievements and what he's managed, and he's managed very little, it's going to be interesting to see. I'd, I'd love to know. I mean, I always thought the thing about the Pozzos is even though they get through a lot of managers, they've got quite a good eye for a manager, really. Like, you think of Kike Sanchez-Flores, you think of Javi Gracia, you think of Slavica Kanovic. Like, they're all pretty good appointments, yeah. really, even though as soon as things started going wrong, they'd, they'd pull the cord. With Ivic, we'll, we'll see if he has success elsewhere, but it kind of feels like a very, very scattergun approach this time around I, I feel like no one is currently coming across in the best light put it that way we weren't impressed with Ivic uh, I'm not particularly impressed with uh, with Troy Deeney it's undermining the club when he's going on national radio the day after they sack a manager and just talking loosely about it to quite that extent um, while being captain of the club I know that he's scored a couple of goals recently three out of four of them have been from the penalty spot Watford aren't blessed with a ton of, of uh, talented number nines on, on recent evidence. So maybe he is the best of the bunch at the moment. But by no means is he the talismanic player on the pitch that I think he thinks he is. Um, so it's a it's a tough one because clearly he's got a lot of sway in the dressing room. That's an, an initial uh, obstacle of sorts for Chisco. Um, we're told that... <laughs> Lovely pronunciation. I mean, he's got a 73% win ratio, mate, wow. Chisco. So he must be one of the best managers ever. Um, albeit in only 11 games as a Tbilisi manager. Um, we're told he's favoured a 4-2-3-1 formation the past two seasons as we try and get a grasp on how he might set up this Watford side. Uh, described as a very positive man who's funny during training but also strict. Reminds me a lot of you, that. Um, funny and strict. What a man. Speaks English, again, like you. Very friendly, very kind. I do speak English, yes. Very kind and attentive. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating situation, isn't it? It's been a... T- a pretty miserable year or two for Watford fans. I could see why their confidence in the Pozzos, which previously has been high for the right reasons, uh, has been eroded with a number of poor appointments and just a decline on the pitch. It's hard for a head coach to come in and really stamp their authority in any major way. Because if you're Chisco coming in, right, there's a lot of the fan base is like, 
you know, these players need to kick up the arse. Some of them need to be just binned off in January. Let's have a bit of a reboot because these players have been synonymous with failure. But as a new manager, you can't come in and just upset the apple cart like that. It's probably not worth the risk for him anyway because he's the most expendable person still. So but then, but at the same time, but if, if the fans are saying that, that doesn't mean that is the course of action he needs to take. I'm pretty sure no. that by by dispensing of a manager 10 days before the transfer window opens and bringing in a new one, that's probably a sign where the, the club are acknowledging that the players aren't the issue. It's the person who's coaching them and the person who's, who's picking a team. So I'd be surprised. I mean, there'll, there'll, probably, there'll probably be a fair bit of interest in somewhat for players from teams higher up. So maybe they'll be able to bring in some money, but I don't think he's going to come in and, and, and try and ship most of them out. Um, and, you know, I've seen a few Watford fans not necessarily in, in defence of Ivic, but just generally saying, you know, the public perception of how good our squad is and how good our players is is misplaced. Mm. I, I don't buy that at all. And you know, you look at Norwich, and you look at Bournemouth, two squads that haven't really undergone much of a of a change since since being relegated, and see what they're doing in terms of the, the football. You know, I know there are the, the points difference, which kind of proves the point further isn't massive between them, but there's you know the there are enough players in this Watford side who are way too good for this league. And just because they haven't shown it yet this season doesn't mean that's not true. Whether or not Chisco is the man to get it out of them, we're, we're going to see pretty soon. But I, I think that with the right appointment, Watford could improve very, very quickly. Well, let's hope he makes a good first impression. Let's hope he improves the mood around the place and uh, and also works out a, a way to build a system that gets the best out of some of the excellent individuals that they have, like Saar and Ken Semmer and Kapu and Will Hughes coming back. There's a... Uh, you know, there's plenty, put it this way, it wouldn't be a surprise to see that group of players uh, forming part of a very, very good championship side, even though it feels like uh, some of them have been underperforming for a while now. Theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. If you visit that, you can get 50% off an annual subscription. It's about two quid 50 a month. Just to give some credit to Huddersfield, because they beat Watford 2-0. Uh, and it was such a fast start, as Greg uh, said in his Sunday scouting report, um, the pressure that they put on, potentially sensing that there was you know, a bit of an issue in the Watford camp. They put the pressure on and mistakes from Foster and, of course, Kapu got them 2-0 up. And, uh, yeah, they had to dig deep. I think Edmunds Green at the back, uh, a rock by all accounts, and Schofield uh, in goal was brilliant as well. So really good performances from those two young players, inexperienced players, getting a big win here for Huddersfield. And uh, Corberan looking excellent in his chinos as ever. Um, it wasn't a vintage weekend in the championship, so I'm actually going to switch to the old classic uh, Lucky Dip format here George we've got five other games to touch on Swansea 2 Barnsley 0 Stoke 1 Blackburn 0 Brentford 3 Reading 1 Sheffield Wednesday 1 Coventry 0 and Preston 1 Bristol City 0 I'm going to allow you first pick in the draft here which one of those do you think uh, you'd like to talk about first hmm that's between two um I think I want to talk about Swansea 2 Barnsley 0 okay not really much to do with the game. That was a bit of a, a bit of a joke game because the pitch at the Liberty Stadium is, or maybe now was, because I think they were digging it up over the weekend. Um, absolutely horrendous, and it didn't really play into the hands of two sides in Swansea and Barnsley, who generally like to get the ball down and play. Um, but it's more to do with the post-match interview, which I found really interesting, with Valerian Ishmael. Um, basically accusing Swansea of being like a long ball team who don't want to play any football and kind of it was that air about them of you know like a, a top six Premier League manager 
having just dropped points against a Burnley or someone being like, yeah, they don't, you know, they don't want to play football, do they? They just. I mean, and it to was be like fair, that. that is that is what he saw on that. I day. know, I know, so, but so my, my my point was going to be like, kudos to Swansea, well done them, well done yeah. Steve Cooper yeah. for dealing with an issue. Like, if you made a list of the clubs in the AFL who probably the most destructive thing that could happen to them was for their pitch to suddenly turn into um, a muddy bog. Swansea would be right up there because of the style of football that they play. So for them to find another way to win, yeah. you know, they, they took the lead very early with a, a really scrappy set-piece goal, a couple of uh, headers through to Jamalo who poked in from close range. And you know, even though they were ahead early on, Barnsley are a side who create a fair, bit of, fair amount of chances. They weren't put under too much pressure managed to get the, the second in the second half. I, I think this is a a sign of a Swansea team who the criticisms we've had of them in the last couple of seasons, both under Graham Potter and Steve Cooper, is that they're fairly one-dimensional and they showed a very different dimension to win here um, and did so fairly comfortably and bouncing back from what was a, a like an absolutely abhorrent showing away at Derby midweek where yeah. they they didn't even turn up at all. So a significant win for them and they're up to they're up to third now. Um Swansea kind of quietly the team that people aren't really talking about who are in amongst the Brentford, Bournemouth, Norwich and, and Watford top five. So mm. uh, yeah, a big win for them. And it made, there was, there was a turn of phrase from Ishmael that I can't remember now, but the whole interview made me, made me laugh. Bunch of cloggers. No, there was something <laughs> right at the end. I almost want to go back and listen to it to remember what um, it was. Well, I mean, just, just to add, yeah, huge feather in the cap for Steve Cooper. And it, it, I, I, I did think to myself, this is a bit mischievous because I love Graham Potter, but it, tough boots to fill given how popular Potter was and um, and still is in some ways. But it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, despite the players that he brought through and whose value he helped to raise, like Daniel James and McBurney, it's easy to forget that under Potter, Swansea finished mid-table and under Cooper, they made the playoffs last year. And Potter's Brighton side get a lot of plaudits. They're a team that I love watching, but who, again, like don't actually pick up very many points. And it's like mm. Potter is very, very process-based, and we quite like that in many ways. Um, and this is Cooper kind of showing that he isn't really. He doesn't just yeah. he doesn't just fall back on like, well, this is the way that we play, and if you don't like it, then definitely. You know, um, 39% pass accuracy from Swansea. Now that is. Wow. Next level. Uh, ben, a Swansea fan, let us know that that is the second lowest of any team in the championship this season. Ever. Uh, this season. So, yeah, there you go. Steve, who was, I'd, I'd like to know who was top. Steve Cooper mixing it up. Uh, we'll look into that. Um, 39% and Barnsley <laughs> were 49%. I'd love to know if there's ever been a game where both sides average under 50% passes completed. There I'm definitely to tweet has. Oily Sailor now. There definitely has. I remember, I think there was a Wickham game earlier in the season, not to slag off Wickham, but I'm pretty sure there was a Wickham game where. Uh, that was the case. Anyway, um, uh, <laughs> another significant result, I think, was Brentford 3, Reading 1. Not necessarily one to get carried away with on either side here. Reading still missing Joao and Mate, um, two very good goal threats who have been thriving this season, taken away from them. And Brentford, I think the most notable thing about this was the, the, the sort of supporting cast coming to the fore a bit more which we spoke about the other day, was is, is kind of needed in order to sustain their, their decent run of form. They scored with their first three shots, so that's always going to help. 3-0 uh, up early and, and, you know, with 
the best defensive numbers in the league, that was always going to be more or less unassailable. And, you know, you talk about Swansea being sort of quietly in third place. I mean, Brentford are 13 unbeaten, which seems bizarre, <laughs> absolutely bizarre. I mean, they, but they're not. But over that time, they haven't hit two points per game because they've drawn more than they've won. So it's a bit of a weird unbeaten run. It's like that. It's like that insane uh, unbeaten run that Huddersfield had under Lee Clark, which is like it was like six. So many draws. They didn't lose for six months, but it they... be- became their biggest like Achilles' heel. Was they were yeah. so de- they were so desperate not to win, they just drew every game and then <laughs> fell out the automatics. Exactly, um, reminiscent of that, but that's that's a bit harsh. Um, they they were good, they were very very good here. De Silva was head and shoulders uh, above the the other players in midfield. I think it's fair to say Ajaria, to be fair, had some flashes of brilliance. But I guess most notable for two great goals from Mbermo. I did see, and I know it's because Omar Richards was injured, but as soon as I saw Estevez playing on, on the left side of defence, um, as a, uh, more of a natural right back, but certainly more of an attacking fullback than a defensive one, uh, I did worry for him slightly. And it was a good opportunity for Mbermo to get a bit of confidence back because he hadn't scored, George, since the second game of the season. Uh, and Burmo, and you know that he's got four assists. I think it is a, a, mostly for Tony, um, and but compared to last season, notable for uh, a lack of return. I think it's fair to say, mm. and you know it's worth remembering that Burmo only turned twenty-one a few months back, and I think yeah. I think last season's perf- performance and his price tag and the fact he plays for France under twenty-ones. It definitely raises our expectations higher than for your average 21-year-old winger at this level. Like, he's a year and a half younger than, I say, Samuel. He's two years younger than Buendia and Brooks and Wilson and Dan Juma and all that lot. So he's still got so much to go. Um, but yeah, he's always struck me as a bit of a confidence player, right? Like, mm-hmm. he'll score some incredible goals, which he did. You know, his first goal was a brilliant take, but he'll also miss a fair few uh, chances that look a little more simple. So... I mean, I wouldn't want to be coming up against him anytime soon if he's going to be firing on all cylinders. Um, but yeah, for Brentford, really important that that supporting cast um, steps up to the plate a little bit more to support Ivan Tony. And um, I guess for them, they were just happy to get through this one with uh, not a makeshift defence, but a, a second string central defence there. Um, a good win for them. Uh, so you've got Sheffield Wednesday 1, Coventry 0, Preston 1, Bristol City 0, or Stoke 1, Blackburn 0. Stoke 1, Blackburn 0 for me. Nice. Um, this is kind of everything in one football match that I that I hate. I would say, <laughs> for Stoke fans out there, they will tell you this was kind of the perfect smash and grab. And I guess in some ways it was Nick Powell with his his second header mm. headed goal in recent times. You and I saw the first one against sneaky uh, good Wickham. in the air. Yeah, um, and it was a good finish. But it was just if I was a Blackburn fan, the frustration you would feel at this game would just be. Next level, because they controlled the game in possession very well. They also controlled the game out of possession. You know, From the seventh minute onwards, Stoke had two shots. I'm pretty sure the combination of yardage of those two shots is closer to 100 than 50. <laughs> um, so you can see that this was a game that was managed very well since then. And, and patience is always so important with this stuff. But they did it well. You, know, you look at the, the outfield players who started the game, only Lenehan and Johnson didn't have a shot from Blackburn. All their shots were taken in fairly good locations. Armstrong um, fairly, you know, I think we'll forgive him this, but didn't have his best day in front of goal. Um, but just for Blackburn, I, I find this, it's, just, it's starting to be a bit of a theme that we're seeing with Rovers, is that they are a, a team who... You know, the, the way they manage games, the way they perform in games is so admirable, both 
on and off the ball. But the, but the points don't seem to come alongside it. Whereas you've got Stoke, who've done little here except for just get on the score sheet and then defend for their lives, who come away with three points. I I mean, it, it won't. Be, I don't want to be disrespectful to Stoke and Mark O'Neill because I do think he is a manager who's very good at doing this. And you know, they're they're pragmatic by design, not out of out of failure mm. to, to to do anything more. Um, but from what I from what I saw in this game and from from what the stats tell you afterwards. Blackburn should have got something out of it. And, and you don't really know who here is to blame because I'm not buying that it's Mowbray. I, I think the reason why Blackburn are, are able to play the way they are at the moment and are able to keep the ball so well and are, are able to create so many chances is in part in thanks to Mowbray. And as ever, it's easiest because the one movable object is the manager. It's easy to blame him. But I'm not having that here. But, but Blackburn have to crack on. They're, they're one of the sides who I'm, I'm sure if they continue the way they're going, will go on a decent run fairly soon insane amount of injuries for Stoke that they're coping with at the yeah. moment um, and they're getting it done I mean they're they're level on points now with Reading and with Borough just on the fringes of the playoffs so it'll be fascinating to see if they can get some players back and how they can kick on I mean that it has been a real grind for them and I don't mean that in a negative sense but if you just look at the last eight games they've had during this crazy run they've won three of them all one nil um, they've had three nil-nil draws and they've lost two, both by one goal. So every single game is on the margins. And um, I mean, it takes a hell of a lot of concentration to be on the right side of those more often than the wrong side of them. Uh, and plenty of quality at the back as well. Bursic has done well since being recalled from his loan, the young goalkeeper. Uh, James Chester's been excellent recently as well. And uh, Jordan Cousins, uh, that's a surprisingly high performance level from him recently. I didn't think much of him <laughs> uh, against Wickham, the game that we saw live. Surprising but- to who? But well, to me, because I didn't yeah, think, I didn't think he was very good, George. But um, <laughs> I'm being proven wrong there. Sheffield Wednesday got their first win under Tony Pulis. Uh, this game, I mean, you talk about games on the margins, games of low margin, and this was definitely that. Uh, not pretty, but um, on the right side of it for the first time. A teasing Barry Bannon ball stuck away by Tom Lees. I feel like I feel like they've probably had one of those a season for like every single year we've ever done the pod. Um, so, you know, it was a brilliant ball in, wasn't it, from Bannon? That's what you get from him. And a, a, a big win for Wednesday. I'm certainly not getting carried away with the performance, um, but something to build on, a bit more positivity. Uh, and Preston beating Bristol City 1-0. I mean, Alex Neil correctly praising his goalkeeper, Declan Rudd, for a couple of excellent saves. I don't think there was a ton in this game either. Um, but the fact that Preston get the win and Bristol City get their third defeat in a row means that, you know, the narrative is very different. Preston starting to sort out that home form, which was so bad to start the season. I think they've won three, drawn one, lost one of their last five home games. We thought that that would just be an anomaly, that there couldn't possibly be some like, you know, particularly strong reason for it. And that's starting to turn around. But yeah, for Bristol City, it's 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 an interesting one. I wanted to ask you about, George, is this your classic Dean Holden potentially um, being a victim of, of his own early success? I mean, yes. they've lost three in a row. They have only, they, they failed to score in four of their last five. But if you zoom out a bit, they're on 30 points from 20 games, which is pretty decent. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the way the results have fallen. That will be the reason why Bristol City fans' um, expectations were, were raised and now they're disappointed. Having said that, um, with Dean Holden, there is bound to be more scepticism than with other managers because you are still proving yourself in your first job. And even though they started so well, you know, a run of five or six games isn't enough to provide evidence that that you are a capable manager at championship level. There have been 
loads of troubling performances from Bristol City as well. Games where and we've spoken about it before, where they where they basically just don't show up. It happened at Rotherham the other day. It happened against Reading a few weeks ago, and to an extent, it happened here against Preston as well. Um, it, it it's a difficult one for for Bristol City to work out because only those very close to Dean Holden will know. You know, when he's appointed as manager, um, the fans can can make their assumptions based on the performances and the results. But it's those sitting in the boardroom and those and those working with him every day that will understand the impact that he's having. I'd say that Bristol City are, are owned by some pretty bright people in there, and so long as they are kind of away from a danger area in the division. Um, I can't imagine his position is going to be under too much threat, especially given the, the circumstances around football at the moment and, and finance especially. I think Bristol City will be one team who'll be attuned to that. Um, but by no means do I think that dropping out of the top six is is some kind of a dis- disgraceful performance. You know, you look at Vyko Panovic or Reading, I would say that they're, they're pretty similar um, in terms of Right now, if you showed the league table to Bristol City fans back in, you know, the end of August and said, would you take this after 20 games? You know, to a man, they would all absolutely say yes. And you can't lose sight of that. Let's move on to League One because, I mean, we knew this league was going to be tightly contested or rather we thought this league was going to be tightly contested. We thought there'd be a, a lot of teams towards the top and we thought we knew who those teams were and most of them are. And there are some others as well. So let's get our teeth into it. At the very top, we've got new leaders. George Portsmouth beating Hull 2-0 on Friday night. Um, as an aside, I reckon I've had more baths in the last two weeks um, as things have sort of been shutting down a bit, not wanting to mix too much. I reckon I've had more <laughs> baths in the last two weeks than I have in the whole of, of the rest of the year combined. So I'm interested I, to know... I'm going to start calling you Danny. Yep. Yeah, very good. Danny Cowley, named after Danny Cowley, your favourite yeah. Danny. No, um, and I watched this one in the bath. That's why I was talking about my bath. And I watched it in a state of some, well, a mixture of sort of confusion and uh, and awe. Uh, because, I, well, let's just be clear about this. Portsmouth beat Hull 2-0 and they didn't have a shot on target. Uh, so it's one of, <laughs> one of those really nice quirks of uh, football statistics. Two own goals from Hull. One of them... I'm just going to be honest, I, I think it should have been a foul. Like, I don't always like when defenders get given a free kick for a high boot when their foot, when their head is at, like, knee height because it feels like that's kind of their choice to get down there with the mm-hmm. old head. But having said that, I do think that Raggett, I think it was, kicked Greaves in the face um, <laughs> as he inadvertently headed it into his own net. The second goal was just comical. Um, very rare that you get a cross in as it was from, I think, Curtis. The knockdown from a whole player and the finish from a whole player in their own goal. Um, and that kind of sums things up, really. But no other shots on target for Pompey. Not a ton for Hull. Like, not a lot happened outside of those goals. Mm. So the main thing I wanted to say is, apart from just wondering if anyone else is taking a lot of baths at the moment, and if so, let me know, uh, at NTT20pod. But also, I just love Raggett. Just love the way he looks. I love the way he just throws his head at absolutely everything. I love the way he's missing a front tooth and he just doesn't... My my, girl, my girlfriend saw, I was showing her the own goals um, and she was like, does he always have that front tooth missing? And I was like, yep. <laughs> she was like, does he not want Does he not want to fill it in? I was like, you'll have to ask, uh, you'll have to ask Raggett, but I don't think he does. Uh, <laughs> I just like the fact that he looks like Rob Dickey if Rob Dickey was into bare knuckle fighting. 
basically. I think from what I know about Rob, he, he's not. No, he's more into chess, arts and He's crafts. more into breaking lines with Fra- his foot. But interestingly, you were saying on Quest, uh, from a whole perspective, pretty like some parallels with Bristol City in the sense that they, they're, they're on a poor run. But Grant McCann going straight into your victim of early season success category. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and you look at the run of fixtures. I mean, on alone, when you look at, say... Um, Oxford and Shrewsbury, two teams pretty lowly. Um, they don't look too difficult, but the you know the, the form that both sides have been on since the game suggests they were harder than they looked on on the day. Pompey are now top of the league. Blackpool are, are pretty much the form team in the league, so it, it's, it has been a difficult run of fixtures for them. They have overexceeded expectations early on. They were not. Um, you know, they might have lost the game 2-0 in midweek, but it was two, as you mentioned, kind of freak goals. And they weren't, you know, whilst I don't think you could say Pompey weren't good value for their win, it wasn't like Hull uh, threw in a performance like the one we saw against Fleetwood a couple of months ago. Um, teams go on bad runs. You know, it's very rare to see sides go through a whole season without throwing in the odd performance like like that or the odd, or the odd, the odd run like we're seeing at the moment. Hull clearly have the um, quality in terms of players to challenge at the top end of the table it's now just a case of of sticking you know having belief that things will come right accepting that things have been difficult and um and trying to rebuild i'm sure that grant mccann will get there and he, and he isn't getting too concerned by the by the run the current points per game league one league table is helpful to look at because this is probably the most covid affected league in terms of fixtures having not been played i think more so than than League Two, certainly more so than the Championship. And so while we have got Pompey at the top of the table, a little misleading because if you look at points per game, which as we know is how the league was actually decided last year when it was stopped early. George, do you know who the top two are on points per game? Lincoln and Accrington. Lincoln and Doncaster Rovers. Oh, I got it wrong. Who went above Aki. Um, on the weekend. Wow. So Accrington, 1.88. Doncaster, 1.94. Lincoln, also 1.94. Um, it's, it's pretty remarkable. If Donny beat Shrewsbury on Tuesday night, they will be top of League One at Christmas, which I feel Gosh. like... I mean, we've called Lincoln and Doncaster dark horses earlier in the season, and they're in the top two as we hit Christmas, <laughs> uh, in terms of points per game. Anyway, what did, yeah. you, what did you make of their wins on the weekend? I mean, top teams beating teams at the bottom Northampton and Burton that you know we're not going to give too much credit but they got the job done well I think for Lincoln especially this was this was a big win because of what had come before um you know that they, they came here on the back of two really poor home defeats where they didn't score a goal against either uh, Sunderland or Shrewsbury um and even though coming to this one cobblers weren't in a good run of form themselves what I would say about Northampton is they are a side who even though they are fairly poor you kind of know you're in a game when you played against them it's that old cliche the way that they play they're so in your face they're so energetic they might might not have much quality in either box but it, if you don't step up and match them in terms of effort you're going to find yourself coming unstuck pretty quickly so a really really big win for them um you know the the late goals from brennan johnson maybe give the scoreline a a glow that it wouldn't they didn't necessarily deserve, I would say. Um, you know, it wasn't like they blitzed them. Um, you know, but this is back-to-back 4-0 defeats for Northampton. Back-to-back games where they've been 2-0 down and conceded two goals very late on. Um, but this is just, I think, a sign that Lincoln, you know, any any people out there who thought this that after that 
couple of defeats, they were then going to be on their way down the table, maybe a little bit premature. Two eye-catching finishes from Brennan Johnson, one with either foot. I mean, the first one, because of it, it was a lovely little dink over the on-rushing keeper. But the second one was just just no fuss whatsoever just mm. just zipping it into the far corner on his weaker left foot um brilliant take and you know in terms of, of goals and assists he's been a little bit quieter recently after having that standout month i think it was probably october where he was winning so many penalties for george grant and yeah good weekend for young forest wingers because uh alex Mighton, of course scored for forest in their game um and if there's any discussion about brennan johnson being recalled to forest like tyler walker was from lincoln last year i think you know, Mighton getting a few minutes and a few starts would probably be the reason why that just shouldn't happen, why there'd be no benefit to either really for that happening because then they'd be fighting over meagre minutes really given some of the senior wingers that they have. So Johnson's in the right spot, that's for sure. And uh, top of the PPG table, Lincoln. As for Donny, could be top at, at Christmas uh, if they beat Shrews on Tuesday night. Won't be an easy game, of course. Steve Cotterell's resurgent Shrews. Um, but the best goal-scoring record in the league. They don't concede many goals. They play some lovely stuff. There's a mm. lot to like about Donny. That Taylor Richards goal, uh, having given away Ooh, a mindless penalty, um, showed his well, Premier League Elite Academy uh, quality. Now, yeah. my next question for you is, <laughs> given we've got two dark horses there and we've got a lot of the big horses, the favourites uh, up there as well, Hull and Pompey and... You haven't mentioned the dark horse that I mentioned on Quest this as well. Is, will you just let me finish and then... Will s- you just? <laughs> see if I mention them in this next half a sentence, which you've interrupted. See if okay. I mention them. All right. Well, George, we've got two dark horses at the top and a load of the early season, pre-season favourites there as well. Have we got space for another dark horse in Crew Alexandra? Yes, Ali. Yes, that was a long half sentence. But um, yeah, Crew Crew did it early by their standards. I was annoyed because on Quest, I spoke about how for two games in a row, they'd scored an injury time. It's actually three games in a row. They've won 2-1. Um, 93rd minute winner against Northampton. 93rd minute winner against Plymouth. 91st minute winner against AFC Wimbledon here after Wimbledon has scored in the 90th minute to make it one all. And, you know, you can look at this two ways. What I said on Saturday is true that, you know, this is a team who quite clearly believe they can win games, who continue to press forward late on and, you know, are riding something of the cre- of a crest of a wave in order to do so. Lovely. They have to start, they have to, the other side of it is they have to start winning games more comfortably. They have to start putting teams to the sword. They they can't keep relying on on late strikes in order to do so. Um, but the performances are very strong. They are quite clearly now the team who've come up from League Two and settled into life in League One, the, the coziest. Um, and their form is very good. Um, the issues they have had, a, a few crew fans have tweeted me saying that Wintle and I think and G's contracts are both up in the summer and therefore some concerns that they will look to cash in on those two um, in January so they don't lose them for nothing. Although I assume given their academy grads, they wouldn't be lost for nothing anyway because there must be a a, um, a fee. The old um, tribunal. The tribu- tribunal fee. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited by crew and uh, delighted for your boy, Michael Mondron. To get, uh, to get on the score sheet for the first time in a while. Difficult for AFC Wimbledon, though. They've had four games at Plough Lane now. They've won one, they've drawn two. Um, and So they've won one, they've lost two and drawn one. Um, a lot of goals at Plough Lane going in, but, uh, but not much joy. Hopefully by the time fans are back there, they'll have learned how to win at home. 
Mikel Mondron, the, the Oli Giroud of Ligue 1, knocking on the door of Didier Deschamps. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, can you imagine how upset Glyn Hodges must have been by that going going level in injury time? And then, yes. But, and the manner of the concession of that goal as well. Just, I shouldn't smile because, I mean, I, you'd, 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 you'd have to laugh, otherwise you'd cry. And, I mean, I just, I just want to point out to anyone who listens to the pod, I know you all do anyway because we talk about pickering a lot, but when you watch Crew Games highlights, even if it's just the two-minute highlights on YouTube, which you should do. It's amazing how many of those highlights start with Wintel or Lowry spraying it out to Kirk on the left. Mm. And just watch Pickering's movement. It's all I do now, and it just makes me so happy every time. The different runs that Pickering makes when Kirk receives the ball, and depending on where Kirk is positioned, like how close to the byline or how close to the edge of the box, is it looks really simple. He's not doing anything like seemingly incredible or that no one else could do and yet you don't see many other fullbacks in the EFL so consistently making good runs that cause problems for the defences and having the technical quality and the the sort of the vision I guess playing with his head up to actually um, create goals and, and score goals as well in the final third his assist was brilliant and the cross was great but the run to get in that position as well the link up with, with Kirk it is fantastic a Gillingham beat Rochdale 4-1 uh, I want to basically copy and paste what you said about what you have to do when you play against Northampton. I don't mean to chuck them into the same box because they are physical and can play direct, but certainly with Jills, we've seen in, the, in probably more so in the last month or two than previously, there is a minimum physical and I suppose mental level that you need to play against Gillingham just, just to start with, just to turn up with. Um, mm. And if you have that, a lot of teams have been able to beat them. It's quite clear that if you don't have that, you're going to have a tough afternoon. And that's exactly what Dale had. And whether it was, you know, too chuffed with themselves after a 5-0 win against Wigan in midweek, um, I don't know. But, I mean, not to take anything away from Jills, but they didn't have to do anything particularly impressive or strenuous to score four goals against Rochdale. They had this one in the bag so early. And they've been a hard team to have a handle on Jills um, in the first half of the season. They lost only one of their first five games. Then they lost five games in a row. Then they won four out of five. Then they lost two on the bounce uh, before this game winning on the weekend. And after all of that, they've ended up entirely average, right in the middle of the table. Eight wins, eight defeats, 22 goals scored, 22 goals conceded. So uh, they've got an interesting way of getting to their mid-table average status, but that's what they are uh, on the basis of, of what we've seen so far. And a big win for, for your old mate Ryan Lowe, George, and Argyle. We said on Totally Football League Show Extra Time that almost more than a win, he just needed a clean sheet first and foremost. Uh, and that much maligned back three, they had a banging game. Um, Panuche Kamara in midfield doing a job on Scott Fraser uh, and Hardy getting the goal as well. Um, an important win for Argyle, certainly. Those teams were, were both on 19 points pre-game and Argyle can just can have their turkey a little more relaxed, uh, <laughs> I think it's fair to say. Um, yeah, yeah, and definitely just the, the key thing for Plymouth for me was was the, the performance more than the result. Um, whilst they were in a position where any kind of win was so important, it was just, it was probably MK Don's weakest performance in a long time. And that was due to, as you mentioned, the way that Plymouth were able to stop them doing what they normally do. They still had more of the ball than, than than Plymouth but not as much as we, we, we're used to seeing and even at 1-0 up they were comfortable and for a side who, who lost six in a row going into it 
um, a really welcome result. And especially for Ryan Lowe, who, you know, in his in his short career, he's only known winning runs, not losing runs. So all eyes were on him to see how he'd cope and, and, and the signs are pretty well. League two, a sensational day, you have to say. There's so much to talk about. Um, shall we start with the with the beef, George? Yes, I, give me some beef. An ironic name for it, really. Not only <laughs> because uh, it's a huge exaggeration for what you're about to hear, but also because of the team involved and their um, aversion to beef. But anyway, too much build-up. Let's get into it. Here's what I said on Quest on Saturday, the 12th of December. At Forest Green then. And probably we talked about crew, we talked about Norris's the similarities here again. I think there's something in this, yeah. yeah. You know, possession-based teams, but not those who keep the ball for the sake of it, but Correct. those who have a, um, a clear way of how they're going to create chances. And Forest Green's record in the second half of games shows to me that like those other sides we've spoken about tonight, they tire teams out and they're so composed as they get to the end of games. Even if they're not winning yet, they tend to get that goal. And they've got a tough run coming up and they haven't always been great in big games. So that's the next test for them. And here is what Mark Cooper said in his post-match interview on Saturday after a 1-0 win against fellow high flyers Carlisle. Yeah, I listened to a pundit last week on one of the um, highlight shows saying that we never, we don't do very well in big games. So hopefully we've... Um, We've proved that, that uh, gentleman wrong today and that was a big game and we played well in it. You are a gentle, gentle man, Ali, but I don't think Mark Cooper wants to buy you a beer anytime soon. I, I, hope, I hope in future <laughs> when you're on Quest, this doesn't mean you're going to start thinking, oh, I better say something nice about this guy because he might be watching. Mate, inspired him and the lads. I, <laughs> I honestly couldn't be happier. I mean, firstly... I've been pretty nice there, I think it's fair to say, aside, you know, aside from laying down the gauntlet in the last two seconds of that answer. And yeah, I, I, I just found the whole thing hilarious. I suppose at first I was a bit like, well, I've, I've genuinely been pretty complimentary about your team throughout this season and, and I think that they're looking pretty good. Um, but then I thought to myself, actually, you know what? I can't really have a go at him for focusing on the small negative part because mm. I was reminded, George, that when we get a critical tweet which we do every now and then, even when it ends. By the way, guys, I love what you do with the pod. Really enjoy listening to it. I still focus on the negative. So that's yeah. just, that's human nature. And completely fair play because they were, well, they got the win, didn't they, against Carlisle on the weekend. And that was a big game and they won it, as Mark Cooper said. He would have also thanked his goalkeeper, De McGee, who made two <laughs> magnificent saves in the game uh, to keep Carlisle at bay. I mean, I suppose as a way of response, because I just find this hilarious, to be honest, but also quite interesting. I, I would like to explain why I said that they haven't always been great in big games. It wasn't one of those, you know, let you into a secret on Quest. I'm not just making it up as I go along. <laughs> that wasn't, that was planned because they did have a tough run of fixtures. And before the show, I thought to myself, how do they normally get on in big fixtures? And let me just run you through it, George. Let me uh, show my work Dude. in here. 2018-19 I'll start with because Forest Green were towards the top of the table, weren't they? They finished in the playoffs. They lost in the playoffs. They finished five points off, off the automatic places. They were, <laughs> they were a brilliant team that year. Did the games against the top teams, the teams above them, the big games, if you'd like to call them that, hold them back? Well, in their eight games against the four teams above them, they drew three of them and they lost the other five. Now, bear in mind, they were five points off the automatic places in the end. So I would say in that instance, yeah, those games, those big games, 
against teams above them probably did hold them back. A couple more points there and they could have been automatically promoted. If you want to include the, a couple of teams below them, the top seven, let's say, that probably still counts as big games. It was 13 points from a possible 36. That was the second worst record of the top seven teams. Only Tranmere got fewer points against that group of sides and they finished below them. In 2019-20, in fairness, they finished in 10th at the end of that shortened season. They were a pretty fair way off the playoffs. They were a long way off the top. So they certainly have bigger issues than just big games against the top teams, their home form against teams below them, for example. But again, against the teams above them last season, four wins, six defeats, two draws, not a great record, holding them back to a certain extent. And this season, well, they haven't had many yet. Against the current top seven, They'd lost to Cheltenham so far this season. They'd drawn with Newport, which is a good result. They'd drawn with Salford, good result. And they'd beaten Morecambe. So before that game on the weekend, so-so. But I just loved it. I loved that. And well done. They got a good win here against a good a good Carlisle side who put them under a lot of pressure. And uh, they've got Exeter on Boxing Day. And I'm back on Quest again. So let's move on. Well done, Forest Green. So many, so many results to talk about in League 2 this weekend. George, I'll start with Oldham. Absolutely... Well, no, not smashing, but beating the, well, the league's top team. Are, are Oldham quite good? That's what I was going I to ask you. Because I think they might be. <laughs> I think I think that they might be, I think just in terms of, of the players they've got, they've mm. actually got loads of really exciting attacking talent. You know, I, again, I don't want to repeat myself from Saturday, but McElhaney has been, ever since the first game of the season, quite clearly their best player their goal scorer, their kind of live wire up front, the one guy who you'd think would probably walk into basically any League Two side. Well, I um, thought that was Zach Durnley. Or did I think that was Bahambula? Well, that's what They've I was going to say. They've got a lot of them. Why aren't you talking about Ben Garrity? <laughs> that's a great point. Um, I mean, Bahambula does feel like a player who very quickly is making waves in League Two that suggests he might be a little bit above the level. He's got seven assists in like eight start and seven sub-appearances. He's incredibly creative. Um, Oldham fans are completely smitten with him. I'm seeing a lot of them saying he's like quite clearly the best player in League Two. And whilst I wouldn't go that far, he is doing very well. Um, you laughed to me when I said that Carl Piaggiani in the summer was a great signing. He's been an absolute rock for them at the back. And Garrity, the centre midfielder, who kind of knits it all together. And the thing is, these guys are all... Like fairly young, Bahambula's 25, Garrity's 23, Alfie McCalmont on loan from Leeds is 20. Um, they're exciting. I'm excited by Oldham. I mean, their away form is is remarkable. They've won six of their last seven away games, which mm. is just ridiculous. Their home form is, is horrendous. Um, but it definitely feels to me like the more likely thing that's going to happen here will be they, they improve at home and go up the table rather than kind of a, a, a fall apart on the other side of things. Because individually player by player you can see why a result such as the one on Saturday against Newport County might happen and they had to come from behind because Scott Twine decided to deposit a rocket courtesy of his right foot into the top corner as he loves to do um, but sadly for Newport County losing that game still at the top of the table one point clear of Forest Green two points clear of Carlisle and Cheltenham are down in fourth they lost again on the weekend this one was the Result of the weekend, for me anyway, Barrow beating Cheltenham 3-0. Frankly, an epic win for Barrow in front of their fans as well, um, who saw their team score EFL goals for the first time in, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but something like 40 years. Uh, Scott Quigley and Luke James standing out. Quigley hasn't been as important to this Barrow side 
in terms of goals as he was in the National League. But you can see why he was so good at that level and potentially moving into some form now. But Luke James has been brilliant for, for the majority of the season, I think. Um, and he's a really interesting player because I think a lot of people have come across Luke James. A lot of people know about Luke James and the qualities that he has. And I think it would be fair to say that maybe he would have been surprised and a little disappointed to have found himself back in the National League after what seemed like a really exciting start to his career as a very young player with Hartlepool uh, initially. Uh, the move to, to Peterborough, which unusually for a, a young player moving to Peterborough didn't work out. But he's only 26 and based on his performances this season, taking back to league football very, very well indeed. Uh, and it's fun that um, Rob Kelly's in charge as caretaker. Sadly, based on this performance, uh, he doesn't want it full time. He's made that very clear. But I just loved your bit of info that you dropped in that uh, previously he'd been with uh, big Uwe Rosler at Dusseldorf. Mm. And, and Malmo as well before that. Unreal. Um, but he, but I think more interestingly was the other nugget was that he'd been at, at Berry with Ryan Lowe. Your opinion? Um, yeah, that's why I said it. I'm more of um, a um, Zweiter Bundesliga guy. I reckon maybe me and you shouldn't speak again until the new year. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, I, I think the... Um, yeah, the the work he would have done, given how good Barry were, um, you have to think that he was a pretty sharp, you know, person that David Dunn got in to be his assistant. Um, I hadn't heard that Kelly didn't want the job, which makes a mockery of me saying that he was a shoo in for it. Um, but he, you know, the the level, the performance they put in on Saturday was just kind of remarkable. I guess I, I don't know if they had like a notable boost from. Um, having fans at the stadium or, or what it was, but they they were good value for their win. And they beat a side in, in Cheltenham who just aren't beaten like that. Teams don't do that to Mike Duff's Cheltenham, um, but they wipe the floor with them. So it's another case, you know, I was quite surprised to see David Dunn. Um, having, having not seen much of Barrow last season, I was surprised to see Dunn uh, showing the door. But if this is the kind of performance level that Barrow were expecting that they got last season, then it makes a bit more sense. Mark Truman's doing a, a, well, got a great result. Him and Connor Sellers, the caretaker managers of Bradford City at the moment. And, and Paul Hurst is understood to be favourite to become their next permanent manager. Um, but they will certainly be in charge on Tuesday night. They've got a rearranged game against Grimsby. Uh, the chief exec is apparently hugely impressed with their work. Um, they've previously had control of the youth team and had a really good run in the FA Youth Cup so I mean it's been cool to see the response to the team it was a good win on the weekend and what a goal from Pritchard and I just wonder whether well clearly we're going to see them against Grimsby on Tuesday night and we'll see whether it was a flash in the pan but it could be one of those where just not overreacting to one or two performances and results but maybe keeping the caretakers in for a bit and just giving them a bit longer than you might initially have thought um, could be the thing to do, even if you end up appointing someone. Just three wins at this stage in the space of five games or so would be so valuable just to get them away from the relegation spots and to give Paul Hurst or whoever comes in um, a, bit, a bit more of a foundation to build on. So I was really impressed with that. And yeah, really impressed with Pritchard's goal. It was their first win since the 3rd of November, their first win against a team not named South End since <laughs> the 17th of October. So big, big things. And we have to go big, I think, on Morecambe don't we, George, on this pod? Um, three wins in a row. 
in the playoff places at Christmas time, the the thing that has stood out for me in these wins compared to the ones early in the season was like early in the season, we were like Morecambe have started well under Derek Adams, but games were low margin and we saw a couple of blowout defeats, didn't we? I think they, they lost 5-0 and 4-0 at one point, but they were picking up pretty narrow wins. And now looking at some of their recent results, beating Colu on the weekend, Orient and Harrogate before that, they are just genuinely the superior team in these games. They're dominating yeah. these football matches. And it's pretty cool to see. Derek Adams is absolutely smashing it there. Yeah, I think Morecambe have to be a side that we accept now could do anything this season. This isn't plucky Morecambe. Um, backs to the wall, getting results by the skin of their teeth. This is Morecambe, as you say, being the better side consistently in games of League Two football. Um You've got to be careful, though, because they are, you know, I was talking about Hull's form earlier. They're in, in the middle of a very good run of form at the moment, and that will come to an end at some point. So we don't want to go overboard by by lauding Morecambe as, as promotion candidates. But there's a, you know, there, there's a quality, there's a level of performance consistently with Morecambe. If you take out those two ridiculous beatings which mean that their goal difference remains minus five despite having only lost six games of 19 there's a level of, of pretty consistent performance which which suggests that there'd have to be a, an alarming drop-off to see them revert back to kind of a, a mid-table side um and Derek Adams's stock in my mind is growing week on week because you know he's taken what was a club who are already overachieving massively on their you know, the size of the club and, and what they spend to a whole new level. Daryl Clark, four wins in a row with Walsall. This one, the most ridiculous because, uh, and all of them have been in, in their own way, fairly ridiculous. A Walsall side that only scored more than one goal in, I think, three of their first 15 league games. Uh, mm. And since then, 3-1 winners against Tranmere, 2-1 against Bolton, 3-2 against Oldham, and then 4-3 against Vale. So Boxing Day, I'm looking at a 5-4 here for Walsall. Daryl Clark made four subs at half time, which I which I really rate, uh, as they went in two 0 down to Vale. And I mean, they had the desired effect. Scrimshaw and Scar both scored doubles in the second half. It's interesting because a lot of the Walsall fans that we follow, who are who just have a very good reading of their team and are very fair in their outlook, you know, never too high when things are going well, but certainly not over the top when things aren't going well. Like the general feeling was that. It, it was quite extreme to have made four subs at halftime. But we know from previous and from doing an NTT 20 meets with Daryl Clark, he's pretty punchy. And like he's the sort of character who is not scared to make a big statement. And that doesn't mean they always work. But it's just, you know, he's, he's quite impulsive, I think. Um, mm. And we saw that on the weekend. And look, it worked in terms of just getting a reaction. Potentially, they weren't playing so badly in the first place. And they just turned it around. Um, Scar's threat from set pieces. Pretty much worth like a goal every two games at the moment. So that's always yeah. going to help. I can't believe... Like, when did Port Vale get down to 16th? That really... I know. That, I couldn't quite believe that when I looked at the league table. But a miserable run of form that they're on. A lot of questions being asked about the manager, um, yeah. as you'd expect, um, given their good start, given how good they were last season. A couple more, George. Just, I was going to talk about Jake Scrimshaw quickly. Yes, please. Because he looks very a... like Alex Samuel of Wickham. Interesting. Um, I saw Jake Scrimshaw, I think, scoring a hat-trick in an FA Youth Cup game 
two years ago for Bournemouth against Oxford when he was on loan at Pool Town. Niche. Pool Town. And he was really good. I mean, like, he was so much better than everybody else on the pitch that day. Um, and so it kind of wasn't a massive surprise to me to see him kind of go to Warsaw in the summer. I've been looking out for him because he impressed me so much. And I'm excited to see what this means. He is very physical. He's like incredibly... Um, like like Samuel, he's full of effort and full of running. But the goals he scored that evening were looked like somebody who had the quality to go alongside it as well to be a proper goal scorer. So I'm hoping that, you know, coming off the bench, getting these two goals, getting the victory could be the start of... Because Walsall need... I mean, I know that, um, you know, in recent times, they've, they've lacked kind of a consistent goal scorer. Adebayo has obviously been in good form recently, um, but I'm still not convinced he is somebody who will score as many goals as you'd want the man leaving the line to. Um, but Scrimshaw looks like he could be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Sounds like a sort of villain in like a Dickens novel, doesn't he? Scrim, mm. Scrimshaw. Scrimmers. Um, Scrim scored two on the weekend. <laughs> um, Max Watt has only scored one on the weekend. Are we worried? Goal, Are we worried that maybe he's losing his powers? <laughs> um, no, but he was I mean it's just I just don't really know what to say about Max Waters anymore um I I don't really get it he scored 16 goals in 17 he didn't have he didn't have a football club until the 10th of October that is like two months ago he he was just unsigned an unsigned footballer he's now scored 16 goals in competitions in the EFL he'd never scored a senior goal in in the EFL like in the football league before turning up it's just remarkable what he's doing i'm so excited to see what's going to happen now like whatever happens is he going to end up being like a a league two non-league striker who bounces around and be like do you remember when max water scored 16 goals in 17 games or is he going to end up going to a championship side and continue being brilliant i'm not sure i'm sure he'll get a move in jan you have to think that crawley are just going to be like right let's just cash in here um interesting to see where he goes but again you know when when paul mullen went on that goal scoring run earlier in the season watching the goals you could kind of see that it wasn't natural in a way you could you could it didn't look like a, a, a someone whose movement was just so good in the box but with Waters every goal he scores just feels like a guy who who is um very very good at getting into goal scoring positions very very good at finishing with both feet yeah I'm I am very <laughs> Up for up for the next couple of uh, years of, of Waters. For a man who said he wasn't sure what else he had to say about Max Waters, you certainly had a lot to I say. I have a about lot him. to say. I've got a lot to say about him. I really want to get... Does anyone know Max Waters' agent? This is a, uh, a call for information, for help from anyone listening. Does anyone know either Max Waters or Max Waters' agent? I because, think he's, he's engaged with us on Twitter before, hasn't he? Uh, possibly. But I really want to know what the conversations were between signing for Crawley and leaving Doncaster like wouldn't it be so great to get the honest truth from a player or an agent of like I spoke to these clubs and this is what they said when they expressed interest and this is what they said when they decided not to offer a contract and I'd love to know like did anyone else offer him a contract did he turn down a contract in non-league because he was so bullish that he would get a chance in the EFL and that he would take it All of these Mm. questions I would like the answer to. If anyone can help us, please let us know. I also want to tell you that Salford got a 1-0 win on the weekend. They've got the best defensive record in League 2. And it it sort of feels like 
They're easing up the table under Richie Wellens. They're just on the just inside the playoffs at the moment on 30 points. Five off Carlisle in third. So still some way to go, but definitely improvement in terms of uh, results under Wellens. And Tranmere beat Bolton 3-0. The Bolton roller coaster continues just when we thought they looked all set to uh, fly up the table. They got beat 6-3 by Vale um, and they've lost two of their three since then. Tranmere just sort of dusted themselves down and, and did this without much fuss. Tramir, another side who we thought were flying up the table, then lost a couple of games in a row. Now have gone to Bolton and won 3-0. So it's a pretty fascinating division at the moment, League Two. There's there's a lot up in the air and there's a lot to enjoy. So I certainly hope that there are people who are listening more to the League Two section now than maybe previously. I know there are some people that, that bail out halfway through these pods because they don't think League Two interests them, but it should do. Um, and finally, a shout out to Grimsby Town, who won their derby with Scunthorpe by one goal to nil. I've seen both sets of fans call this one of the worst games of football they've ever seen. Um, <laughs> but young Matty Pollock, who you know was at the heart of a Grimsby defence alongside Hewitt, who is not a centre back, and basically having to marshal them. Uh, age 19, he is a standout player for Grimsby, and he put his head where it hurt, didn't he, to to get that goal? So, well done, Grimsby what a grim few weeks it's been for that club mostly off the pitch but also on it um, absolutely delighted for Ian Holloway and for, for that set of players to get what was quite a big win uh, against a local rival who probably headed into that one the, the more confident uh, and George I think that'll do for today's pod yeah um, I think so too the last one before Christmas but for those who would like to hang out a little bit more or to keep us company really because we both haven't got a huge amount on I think it's fair to say compared to normal Christmases uh, just a reminder that tomorrow Tuesday 6.30 I'm going to be doing a live stream um, on Periscope so through Twitter but also on YouTube as well I'd love it if some of you guys could join maybe if you're watching the Brentford Newcastle game and fancy chatting about that uh, or just anything really January transfer window anything uh, it'd be great to have you and just keep each other company and chat EFL um, because it's not the best time at the moment. Uh, and George, Wednesday for you, isn't it? Wednesday for me, yeah. On Twitter, be typing my answers rather than speaking them. So, um, yeah, do join me. As I say, if no one's there, I'll just talk to myself. Um, but fingers crossed, um, yeah, we can we can help out a bit. And just like to finish this episode with a huge well done to Mark Cooper and Forest Green Rovers who won... <laughs> A big game and played very well in it against Carlisle. I can't wait to watch your game against Exeter on Boxing Day. Um, We'll see you on Quest as well. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. Do follow us at NTT20Pod on Twitter. Always great to hear from you. Hope you'll get involved over the next few days as we do various bits and bobs to make Christmas week a little bit more more fun, and a little bit more together, a little bit more social. Um, But thank you for listening and, uh, and we'll talk again soon.